0: Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I always tell people every week, you know, it's time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. People always talk about gifts and passions. If you have a gift, lead with your gift. And don't let your age, friends, family, or co-workers stop you from planning or living your dreams. The people I bring on Money Making Conversations are celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and people I like to call industry decision makers. My next guest is what I like to believe is truly an industry decision maker. His name is Kurt Mays. He is the CEO of Forgotten Harvest, one of Michigan's top nonprofit organizations and one of the nation's premier food rescue organizations. Forgotten Harvest was formed in 1990 to fight two problems hunger and waste. Forgotten Harvest rescued 41.5 million pounds of food last year by collecting surplus prepared and perishable food from 800 sources that include grocery stores, fruit and vegetable markets, restaurants, caterers, dairies, farmers, wholesale food distributors, wholesale food distributors, and other department approved sources. This donated food which would otherwise go to waste, is delivered free of charge to more than 280 emergency food providers in the metro Detroit area. He's on the show to talk about the purpose, but also his purpose. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, my man,
1: Kurt Mays. Thank you, sir. Well, Rashad, Donald, thank you for having me on the show. This is an honor. Hey, Kurt, I had, I had to put you out there, man. You're you changing lives, brother. Uh, man, just trying every day to just do what we can
0: to help, man. Well, you know, Kurt, uh, when I interview individuals like you, because you're such forward thinkers and you're all about what you what you can do more, what you can do better, What does that start? I'm going to delve into you a little bit. What does that start for you? Who initiated this type of behavior or thought process in your life?
1: It, co- it comes from my home. It comes from my mom. It comes from the way I grew up. You know, my mother... My family are from Jamaica mm-hmm. and uh really started with like, you know, third world country poverty yes, at a different level. You mm-hmm. know, my mom didn't <clears throat> have her first pair of shoes until she actually um had to go to school. Right. So, you know, it's just kind of like having that family background of people that started so far away from their dreams and their ambitions and just taking those one day at a time steps towards like progress. It's something that I lived in, lived around my whole life and realizing the, the gift and the and the, and the blessing that I had to be, you know, in America to, for them to make the sacrifices they did to actually, I was born here right. to be able to actually realize that the, every opportunity that I had was an extension of mm-hmm. the dreams that they had for themselves. So it was always instilled in me to actually stay on the right path right. and be patient about Um, achieving goals because nothing comes, you know, overnight. So it really just came from home and how I was raised.
0: Well, you know, that's important because uh, it it, it shapes your vision. Like I said, uh, my service was really introduced when I was in uh, college at the University of Houston and I pledged Omega Psi Phi fraternity. And all fraternities and sororities are service-based organizations. If anybody doesn't know anything about that, that's what they really are. And that's what I really got into community service, giving, you know, uh, raising funds from local uh, community activist organizations, donating food. I mean, we should give away government cheese. We should give away water. All those things. And seeing how the people react. I remember, man, when we had, when we loaded up that truck and was giving away that government cheese, man, it was a line around the block. Yeah. And, and so the need is real. And so let's yeah. talk about that
1: need, Kurt. Well, you know, it starts with a um, a moment where people have to realize that they can't do it on their own. And they got to actually figure out who they can trust in that moment of vulnerability to get what they need, but also try to walk, walk away with enough energy and time so they can actually work on the root cause, which is how do I make sure I, I, I don't. I don't have to deal with this again. And you know, in our lives, we'd be surprised how many times people fall into that one scenario where it's like I can't do it by myself. Whether it's a a corporation that's doing major layoffs, whether it's the government shutdown that we've seen, the pandemic, or just the regular cycles of our economy that are changing every day from local to global, right? So um, I see, we see um, in our work, uh, unfortunately the lines wrapped around the corner every day mm-hmm. in multiple places. Mm-hmm. So the 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 issue of human need is persistent, is constant. And unfortunately it's more dynamic than just being able to put food in a place for people to get it. Uh, we really gotta think um we got to really come together and think about the ways that we can help each other even before people ask um, so that we can help you know stem some of these gaps that people have. And sometimes they they don't say anything until it's too bad. It's, it's worse than it should have been. Um, and um, if we can work together and, and be that safety net for each other, uh, we really can do a lot to reduce the pain that a lot of people are actually suffering through quietly.
0: Well, let me, let's talk about that, because when you say that uh, people are wrapped around the building, you know, let's go back to 2020, when this country was yeah. shut down, restaurants couldn't even do any business. And so you get a lot of your food from these type of, what they say, prepared or perishable food. And one of the things is restaurant caterers, you know, farmers, wholesale and food distributors. Walk us through that moment right there in time where you had a system in place where you did business with and retrieving this type of food. Then when the country got shut down in 2020 due to COVID, how did that dynamic change and how did you walk through the process in dealing with companies now who not even making money, but now you need the food that they're offering?
1: Yeah, so that's a good that's a good point. So let me just kind of level set a little bit on, on how the whole system is set up for us and how we kind of approached it. First, um, over the years, as we've uh, become more dynamic and, and have more capacity to serve our community, we actually, uh, Forgotten Harvest, for instance, at the time that the, that pandemic uh, went into play, our largest sources of food were coming from places like grocery stores, farmers, food manufacturers like Conagra and the, and the, and the places where the food getting in warehouse. Um, and we have a farm our, of our own. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the actual prepared foods, the stuff that's already cooked, uh, we actually specialize, um, in that other stuff I just talked about. And then we have some select partners, like certain restaurant groups and like the casinos as well uh you know tiger stadium right uh when they when they didn't finish uh with all the hot dogs we go get those but because of the food safety uh uh parameters that we want to put in place we didn't really deal with a lion's share of pear food yes now when 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 the restaurant shut down because of the pandemic we do have the capacity to deal with that and we had to make that adjustment so that we could actually go get the stuff that was actually going to go to waste because the restaurants couldn't get it out to the community. So there was a small blip in time where we got a bunch of the restaurants, rations, and got that back out to the community. Right now, our typical way of doing things, as I mentioned, is our trucks leave our daily, uh, uh, the daily picture of forgotten harvest our trucks leave um, our warehouse and uh, Metro Detroit every day. And they go out on routes to go pick up food from uh, dedicated re- uh, grocery store partners. And then after they go hit about 12 to 15 of those grocery store partners, they then turn that food back around and drop it off at some of the community organizations, the churches, the senior centers throughout the community um, in order for those organizations to turn it back around and then, and then redistribute it for folks in need in the community. At our home warehouse, while things are coming in from farmers and manufacturers and things like that, we have about 16,000 volunteers a year that help us with actually sorting through things, making sure we separate the good for the bad, right. but also break down things like the onions and tomatoes and corn into smaller bundles so that we're not just taking big galers or big boxes to the community and dropping them off. We're actually dropping them off, but they're also already kind of unitized. Mm-hmm. So people who walk through the line can actually get their portion for themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a dynamic operation going on, on a daily basis. As we walked into COVID, we had to realize a few things. Number one, our distribution network was going to potentially be greatly affected because if you know how the actual emergency food uh, distribution system is set up throughout our communities, it's largely done by volunteers. You know, that church group that's actually giving out the food, that's probably, you know, grandma in the church, Miss Johnson in the church that says, you know, this is something that's passionate for her and she wants to do that. Right. So she'll take two hours on her Wednesday to, to give away that free food that gets sourced for however that particular location does it. Um, there's a lot of situations like that. That's actually the, the, the safety net for our communities. And when COVID came in, that those were vulnerable populations yes, it was. With, with very little infrastructure for sustainability. And a lot of those folks weren't getting paid. So they were volunteer roles. So we knew that there was going to be some real instability in our distribution network. A lot of our volunteers, it's the same 16,000 volunteers a year, we got some great corporate relationships. Mm-hmm. So our, our volunteers come in bundles of 30 to 50 at a time because we got corpor- corporations that are sending people to us on a daily basis. When corporations shut down and start actually sending people to work from home, changing the parameters around um, how volunteerism and just how people were going to be deployed into the community, we had to figure out what we are going to do about volunteers, but that's a core way of what we do. Forgotten Harvest distributes about 50 million pounds of food last year to our community and helped about a million people. Mm -hmm. We can't do that with the 80 staff, and 95 staff that we have. We need our volunteers. So we also had to come up with a way to address that. In addition to all of that, in the working spaces that we have, we have some things that we had to consider like PPE, like the distance between um, how how far people could be when we actually give away the food, what's the best way to give away the food so that everybody is actually um, kept protected. And then when we're actually doing our side of the processing, how is our space going to be transformed? Mm-hmm. So in mm-hmm. order to address these things, we did a couple of things. The first thing we did is we came up a way to actually quickly distribute the food to the community with a system that we actually ran and controlled on our own, instead of actually depending on our typical system of, of going to our community um, distribution partners. And that was brought about because of COVID, right? That, 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 that was that- That was because of COVID. Now, we had already been kind of working on uh, a a model that we were actually, as a team, kind of testing on our own. We were kind of doing our own little R&D. Right. And it, it turns out that that little thing that we were working on was the exact thing that we needed to do in order to address that particular hole, which was how do we actually put distribution mechanisms out there to get to the community, knowing that the whole distribution network that we had in place would probably shut down. And what we did for that was we cut, we set up what we call our our mobile pantry, but right. we, we basically go and uh, de- deploy one of those fifty-three foot uh, refrigerated trucks into our community with volunteers, and it, and it serves as like that staging unit. We put all the the stuff on the uh, on the parking lot um, on a pallet, and then we have rolling distributions with the community coming through um, in their cars, and we were able to put stuff in the trunks. Uh, we had to go from fishing with a net. So to speak, to fishing right. with the hook again with volunteers and calling one at a time. Right. So we put um uh partnerships in place with some of our community partners so we can get the volunteers and be specific about how we did that. But we really in the middle of all of that really had to pause and I had to, we, the team had to really get serious about trying to get to every partner we could to get PPE. Well, so you know, we the thing about that was let, me, stuff in let me just China. say something right quick, Kurt. Yeah.
0: The whole process of what you're talking about, you know, is fear. You know COVID, because like I say, plus Michigan, the state of Michigan. I'm talking to Kurt Mays, He's the CEO of Forgotten Harvest. uh, Runs one of the Michigan's top nonprofit organizations where Premier Rescue. Food organization. This is the key in this conversation. Food that will be perishable, food that will be thrown away. He repurposes it and it gives it to people in need. And it's safe food that's being repurposed and delivered free of charge. That's what we're talking about. It's not yeah. only happens there, but there are other organizations in the state of in the state of America, in this world that does that as well. But we're talking yeah. to Kurt Mays right here. And Kurt, uh, one I wanted to talk, slow down just a little bit because the the ready-made food that you was getting from this restaurant played a role. Because right. that food went to certain individuals or certain groups. What happened there when you didn't have the ready-made food anymore to be given out to these certain groups or individuals that needed or was expecting it five days a week?
1: You know, we we relied on some of our resistant relationships. Uh, we were all, at that point, we realized that we had to change the way we looked at uh, bringing in our food supply. So our supply chain partnerships had to actually pivot on the dime. Right. So instead of, just, you know, a lot of the food came from the grocery store and grocery store shelves was clear. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do? Um, so we have these relationships with a lot of food producers and food manufacturers. So we started to actually approach some of our um, partners to buy the food because we knew we needed to actually start getting out here and actually making sure that we were there. We were on the ground with food. So there was a portion of the time where I had to get approval from our board. To be able to actually go into our cash reserves up to a million dollars, so that I could actually be able to purchase food, so that we could actually fill the gas we need to fill in in case we couldn't get the food from the food manufacturers and at the same or from the from the community the way we were getting it. And at the same time, we started actually putting the word out to people. You know what, man? I got to say, it's such a blessing. We never had to dip into that million dollars to buy the food. We did have to buy food. But we got food that was coming in from places that we didn't even expect. We had partners that actually stepped up to make sure that we were um, in place where we needed to be. We have a coalition of partners um, in the state of Michigan called the Food Bank Council of Michigan, which is seven organizations, and we cover the entire state. We started putting our hands together, and we went to the governor, and we started speaking as one voice about the shortfalls that were coming to us based on what was going on, Um, the moves that FEMA did the moves to be able to get the boxes on the ground. A lot of that conversation actually started in Michigan and it proliferated throughout the rest of the country Mm -hmm. as, as the way that everybody would actually get that solution in place. So the CARES Act program, some of the things that happened through FEMA ultimately was what actually uh, uh, stemmed the tide to be able to give all of us the food we needed. So the food boxes, then forgotten harvest because we have all these relationships with other fresh food providers, also made, also supplemented the food boxes with vegetables, fruits, um, lunches for the kids. We, in, all, in all, we've been giving away an average of 70 pounds of food for every family that comes through our line.
0: Wow. You know, uh, when I listen to you talk, you're the CEO. OK, so that means there's a journey to become the CEO of Forgotten Harvest. How is that? Possible? How does that work? You know, when I, you know, you're a service-oriented young man. You've been honored by your alumni, your school, Michigan State University, You've been honored for other efforts within the community. How does Kurt Mays become the CEO of Forgotten Harvest?
1: And that's the million dollar question. I
0: don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know. You already, you got, you, you showed me your visionary. You showed me that you, you're the pivot when, when, when confusion steps in place. You already had places, you already had an idea that, hey, this is something we need to look at. COVID hits it. You already got the model. You put the model in place and then it yeah. moves you forward. And then you're able to create a one voice. You tell the council, look, notifying them that, hey, there is a problem out there. I'm not saying we're going to get the money, but that means that you're a guy who foresees the problem with resolution.
1: Yeah. That has well, you been know, your
0: personality, correct? I,
1: yeah. Yeah, that's, that's all That's all I can, you know, humbly I can say that's all fair, right? So, uh-huh. um, but to answer your question, I got to actually go uh, probably a little bit off the script and just go say that I've just been trying to make sure my fire don't burn me up. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm, and I got a I fire for our people.
0: Yes, sir. I got a yeah.
1: fire for our community. Yes, sir. I sure. understand. Uh, I, I think I understand well enough the the politics of change. Um, my My greatest focus is studying people and trying to understand people so I can do as much as I can as a servant to people to help. I started as a grassroots or community organizer with the hope that I could actually be a part of an effort to, you know, 20 years ago. I started with a dream that we could recreate Black Wall Street in Detroit. Yes, sir. And now I see people talking about it everywhere. So I honestly is just a young man who just want to see change with the people around me. I got a burning fire. I had a great education. And at one point, I realized that I can probably do anything and be successful. And I could go sell myself, my talent, my ability, my time to somebody and probably go make a lot of money. But... I want, to, I want to leave a legacy, you know, this life that my, my child, my family could be proud of. And it, sure. and it got to be something more than just cash. So I dedicated my life to serving our community. And I got to say, it didn't start being the CEO of Forgotten Harvest. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It didn't start being the CEO of nothing, except this dream I had. And I was always the CEO of that dream. And I never stopped being a CEO. And I've always been putting my fire into the place where I felt like I could add the most value to the moment in the conversation. And it's turned out that that service has, put, has positioned me in a place where I've been able to actually be in front of a conversation or in front of a group and uh, be considered as somebody to be able to be, you know, to follow into, into the fire. You know, before I was at Forgotten Harvest, my job was as a, the grass top leader for a, a, a hard hit community in Detroit called Brightmoor. Mm. And you know, I applied the same kind of fire towards community development and made some change and made some problems. Yes, for folks. Yes. In, in, you know what I'm saying? And that got me a, a role that I was pulled into the mayor's office as the deputy for economic development. And I think what happened was. The powers that be, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the cross section of our community in the business world got a chance to see my, my light shining in a lot of different ways as they were looking for the person to, to fulfill the role of Forgotten Harvest. Um, it wasn't something I saw in my future, but when I really understood what it could be, I sat down in the interview and I gave them everything I had. Yes, sir. And I've been doing that for the last seven years um, to try to do that through you know, this role, to do the most I can to continue to change our community, man. I wish I could tell you a game plan to get here, but I was just, I just been trying to do as much as I can to give back to my people. Well, I'm going to tell
0: you, I'm going to tell you a game plan. You know, it's like a lot of people, because you're a grinder. I call you grinders. People that just put their head down and they, like I always always tell people when I look back on my life, I've been doing what I'm doing today since I was 18 years old. Uplifting, you know, stepping beyond the word ask. I just did it. Uh, Seeing a problem and creating a resolution. And yes, I did rub people the wrong way, but it was always, but I walked away with respect. The thing about it, when you hear the word rubbing people the wrong way, these are people who don't want change. And change is usually tied to putting forth effort. And when you ask people to put forth effort, that means they have to think about the resolution or the new concept. And that creates resistance. And that's when you get bumped. And so when you create resistance, that means you have to have a plan in place. And that's what he does. See, he doesn't create resistance without a plan. And so while people over there with their lips stuck out, He's over there there telling people this is how it can be operated or executed. And then they they calm down, and they have to come to the table and at least listen to you. And while they're listening, then you have their attention in their ear, and we can move forward. That is who Kurt Mays is. He may not want to say that. That's
1: one of the peace. Huh? Huh? That's one of the peace. If you don't agree, and I really believe that this is the thing, I build it myself. There you go. There you go. people, People like jumping on bandwagon. You yeah. might have been the one at the table said, no, nah, no, nah, but if and I'm like, look, let's see. Yes. And if you don't wanna if you don't want to jump down this road and see with me, I'm gonna go do as much as I can. I got enough capacity to build it so that this wagon is wobbling. And I'm gonna get somebody else to fix that wheel. But you're gonna <laughs> see by action if you don't believe by word. And that's what really is my hidden. I think, Jewel, I can do it. That, there we go. See, see I, I finally got the real Kirk to pop out in this interview.
0: You, did you say he moved forward? He started pointing at me. He started telling me, if you don't do it, I'll get the nail and the hammer and the saw. I'll build it myself. And that's wow. really what. why you the CEO. That's all, I, that's all I was asking. Because sometimes along the way, it's your passion, your desire to you get out of the way and function as a, as a leader, it's why we're here today. We're talking about you know, Kirk Mays in 1990, Forgotten Harvest was, was founded, is dedicated to relieving hunger and preventing uh, food waste. And for, uh, they deliver 138,000 pounds per day. A five days a week to families in need. And recently, uh, I shouldn't say recently, within this past year, you guys received a $25 million grant from philanthropist McKenzie Scott. Walk us through that process and where, where, how would the money be used at Forgotten Harvest?
1: Well, first, it was a, it's an absolute blessing, right? So um, what many people may not realize is there was no process for us. This was literally an angel that dropped $25 million on our lap. And when I found out, it was a call. Like literally the decision was already made. And it was like one of, it was an email that I could have missed. And it was just like, hey, uh, you got a woman that wants to talk to you tomorrow about a gift. And I've gotten anonymous gifts before. So I get on the phone and she's like, is this Kirk Mays? I'm like, yeah, it's like, Mr. Mays, this conversation has to be confidential. I'm like, okay, no problem. And she says, uh, do you know who uh, Mackenzie Scott is? I'm like, no, nah, I don't. And she's like, well, she's an author and this, that, and the other. And she didn't tell me about her affiliation with Mr. Bezos or nothing like that. And then she's like, well, Mr. Mays, uh, we've done a, our research and we've heard about you. So we want to give you a gift. We're going to give you $25 million. I was like, what?
0: Okay, okay. Hey, hey, hey kurt let's back that up because <clears> number <throat> see 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 you 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 know math you've heard numbers you know we we've heard twenty dollars a hundred dollars when somebody says 25 million dollars to you uh, over the phone with the word give where were you at mentally i was I was
1: I was kind of dumbfounded because it stopped me because one i don't think it's ridiculous to say that's the biggest gift I've ever gotten. It's the biggest gift the organization's ever gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it, you don't understand getting something when you didn't go through the process and ask for it or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? The Even hustle. Mm-hmm. If somebody came up to you and knocked on your door and say, hey, you just won the lottery. Here's a hundred million dollars, you kind of be suspicious if you didn't buy that ticket. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: At that point, I was like, man, are you for real? What? Twenty-five million dollars, and I—I I immediately, I had to, under, I had to admit, I immediately picked up my phone. I was like, Mackenzie Scott, who is this? Right. And the first thing that came up was Mackenzie Scott valued at sixty billion dollars. Right. Mm-hmm. I put the phone down. I was like, Well, tell me more. Right. <laughs> and what she told us was, they have been. She has been going through a process to give away all her her cash. And what she's doing is she's going through and doing her own assessment of organizations. And based off of leadership, based off a of track record, based off of impact, there's are certain areas that she actually um, is focused on. And we were one of 6,000 plus organizations that got scrutinized, that got boiled down to 384 that got a gift. It wow. was an absolute honor. One of seven in the state of Michigan. Um, And I, I got to say, one of few brothers yes. in the work. Yes. Uh, out of all food organizations in, in feeding America, there's 200 plus food organizations that feed in America. Mm-hmm. Only 45 got a gift, mm-hmm. right? So it was it was quite a it was quite a head jerking moment because you got to understand I'm in the middle of the, we're in the middle of this pandemic. Yes, sir. We we have a vision for the future that got interrupted because we had to turn to the community to help doing everything we're doing. We have a vision that involves us building a brand new facility to really change the way that we systemically actually serve the community. Mm -hmm. And with everything going on, it's like, how are we going to do all of this? How are we going to do all of this in this moment? And that gift was like the... It was more than just help right now. It was verification and validation that every decision I made up to now was right.
0: That fire. That fire was burning for the right reasons.
1: It's the best award I've ever gotten. And not not just because of the money. It's the gesture. Yes. The gesture. You know what I'm saying? It was backed up by a magnificent dollar amount. Yes. That right now what we're doing is you know, you ask how are we going to spend the money? Yes, sir. We know, that starts with conceptually understanding how we look at it. And if I can break that down, as it, try to do it in a short way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: First and foremost, um, the effort we're in right now to transform how we deliver food to the community is in, in, inherent that we have to have a new facility. Yes, sir. We've forgotten Harvest going out and getting food every day from food providers, but also food coming in from um, the growth spike from uh, bulk and commodity providers, we don't really have a capability inside of our existing warehouse to mix all of that so that everybody can get what I would call an equitable mix of everything we get on a daily basis. those those route drivers go out and actually uh, pick up from each of those grocery stores and they just give to like the three or four community partners on their route right what I, what we're what we gonna do in the future, is we're going to bring everything from every grocery store that we touch, all the farms, all the manufacturers. We're going to use the processes we have with our volunteers to actually mix all of that stuff so that there's not a line somewhere on the east side of town that only got from those couple Kroger's or a couple Meijer or a couple grocery stores. And there's another line over here that's just getting from the farms. We want everybody to get as much as possible because the nature of food rescue is, we don't really know what we're going to get on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. but we get so much that if we mix it all, mm-hmm. people will be yeah. able to make the right decisions to be able to get the meals they need so they can go home and make and solve the problem of food insecurity. And I got to talk about that. Food insecurity for us is a person or a family not knowing where their next meal, the future meal is coming from. Mm-hmm. And anxiety that comes from that is that simple. So I use that to hold us, myself, and our organization accountable. How do we address that definition? And broken into that is knowledge access, proximity, and then supply. So the way that translates into the way that, that Forgotten Harvest is going to actually transform or address that from a systemic level is we got to change our communication. Yes, We've also been looking at and analyzing the distribution territory that we're working in, and we've actually created a data systems to help us understand and qualify, but also quantify what food insecurity actually looks like in our community. Mm-hmm. We're collecting mm-hmm. data from our community community, um, Uh, members that are getting the food so that we can actually now have firsthand information about where people are coming from, what some of their health mechanisms are, where some of their particular cultural um, preferences may be, and how we can potentially bring food closer to the actual places where people are actually in need instead of just focusing on the places where people are picking up the food. So when we look look at this combination of being able to change the way we move, plus being able to change the way we think as an organization, Forgotten Harvest is actually transforming into a thinking and data-driven organization. And the new facility is actually going to actually help enable us to make that turn. That's already the plan in place. (laughs) That's already what I was doing, right? right? And we're already raising the money for that. We already got cash coming in for that. And then we get this magnificent gift from Ms. Scott in the middle of all this. And my board is like, now what? I'm like, well, yo, we're already going deep. So now the question is, how do we go wide? Yes. So there are now there's some additional questions that we have about whether the throughput of the distribution um, uh, outlets that we give the food to are actually adequate uh, in their capacity in order to actually serve the community. One of the largest challenges in the in, in people being able to get the food that they need is being able to get to the place where it is in time. So if like I said, back to that example I had earlier, if grandma can only come to the church on yes. Wednesday from two to four to be able to get food out, what about the working family Mm -hmm. that can't actually get there? Mm -hmm. So what what we would like to see is a distribution network that has something closer to to retail hours. Mm -hmm. I'd like to eliminate the line. And a way that I think that we can eliminate that line that that wraps around the corner is we need to have places that look a lot more like grocery stores, that have hours that are a lot more like a retail establishment, but still give food away for free but still has an actual high quality staff working in there treating people with dignity and like their customers that people come in there and they go get that food and they go home and they go home with enough variety and enough volume so they can fix that problem and thereby not have to worry about where their next meal, future meal is coming from. So everything that we do going forward with forgotten harvest is going to actually help us actually uh, widen our ability to affect the, the need that we're addressing and the next step, I believe, is when we move out of the building we're in, which is about 30,000 square feet, and move into our 77,000 square foot facility, I want to turn this old facility into, the grocery into store. a community care center yes, sir. that not only allows people to come in and shop mm-hmm. at, their, at their regular pace mm-hmm. like they would if they went to any grocery store, but check out for free. And before you leave, there's going to be offices in here where some of our community partners, we don't do this. But we can invite partners in to work on mental health services, Long housing, credit, get your water repair. cut on, mm-hmm. get to get get the lights cut on. Mm-hmm. I want to bring our partners in to do that. So that'll be one facility to come, um, you know, immediately. I mean, and then we can talk about other ways to expand. But brother, as you may already know. Um, everybody can't can't really absorb the whole vision all at once. So I just give it out there. We move to the next stage and then we can see the other horizon. We can see the horizon differently once we get down the road. So that's what it looks like in the short term. In the midst of all of that, we got some cash management to do to make sure we stay in our position of strength. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to continue to just beat the streets. And I love to talk to our community, so I'm going to continue to beat the streets, (laughs) make sure I got the approval Uh and the sanction from our community Uh as we make this turn.
0: Well, Kirk, I'm going to just tell you this, man. Thank you for coming on the show. That fire, I got to, I got to, it warmed me, okay? It warmed me, okay? So I know it's, 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 it's out there warming a lot of people and changing lives, man. And definitely, uh, uh, I want to come up there and visit you in Detroit. Detroit's one of my favorite cities, and 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 see that thirty-three thousand square foot facility. And you're going to move to the eventual seventy-seven thousand square foot facility. And I think you're absolutely right, repurposing that old facility into a care center, a, a a life center. I think that's basically what you're saying, where you can you can be educated and nourished not from from your body and your head, and that's what we need in these diverse communities that are being underserved again forgotten harvest he is the ceo i know how he got there i just had to let you guys hear how he got there and let him drop that humble veil and tell us his story on money making conversation thank you kurt mays thank you sir i appreciate if you want to hear any interviews or see any of my interviews please go to moneymakingconversation.com i'm rashawn mcdonald i am your host